to the Millionaire Mentors Podcast, where we interview successful business owners, real estate agents, and other entrepreneurs to see what sets them apart from everyone who fails or never even gets started. So please sit back, grab my notepad, and enjoy the show. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the podcast. Uh, I'm your host, Luke, and today I'm joined by our wonderful guest, Mr. Jeff Bush. Uh, Jeff, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It's great to have you. Uh, why don't we start with you telling us just a little bit about yourself, like what you do for a living, uh, how you got into it, and how you went from uh, beginner to where you're at today. Okay, I'm, uh, I am the uh, CEO and uh, chairman of Global Medical REIT, which is a New York stock exchange listed company that is in the real estate business buying medical properties. Um, I got into it years ago because I was in other enterprises and ended up being in New York in investment banking and learned a bit about the medical side of it and the real estate side of it. Then over time, I built up my expertise. So when I started in 2013, this company, and quickly took it as a public company because a REIT is a special tax type of thing where you could pass on the profits um, to the investors without having to be taxed at the corporate level and then the individual level. It's only taxed at the individual level. Uh, so can you give us a quick rundown on how uh, Global Medical initially goes about finding and purchasing properties? Absolutely. Um, we, we have a game plan that's different. Uh, different companies niche into their market. Uh, many of the bigger REITs, uh, we're about a billion and a half dollars worth of assets now. We've been doing $200 million a year for the last seven and a half years, so that's where we got that. Uh, we go looking in secondary markets, which are just not the big cities, not the big MSAs. And we look at uh, also suburbs of sometimes the bigger markets. But we stay away from the the cities themselves where there's more expensive real estate. And we let the other big companies and institutions like to buy it. And then we go looking into these markets in Toledo, Ohio, Sarasota, Florida. Uh, we have a lot of properties in Austin and Texas, and we have suburbs of Dallas and Houston and Phoenix. Uh, we have about 200 properties, so we, we stay away from the bigger markets, and we tend to buy properties between $5 million and $20 million sometimes. Um, it goes more for new reasons, but that's how our search is. Uh, we go to these communities. We know the the uh, medical um, companies there. We go to physicians. We meet with physicians, and we chat with them about monitorizing their property. Essentially, they build up a, a, a physician group, gets together, and they build a facility with, you know, surgical office and others, uh, diagnostic also. And then at some point, if they're looking at, some members are looking at retirement, other issues comes where they need to monetize their assets uh, 
and they sell it to us, and they become tenants. Okay, so you uh, you contact them when it's like owned by uh, like the people that are running the business, right? Like not other investors or owning the building. Yeah, it, it, like it, the... yeah, we work with doctors groups. We work sometimes. Yeah, sometimes they've been built by individual investors. Uh, sometimes they haven't been in the medical field. They, they built several things and one in the medical. And they don't understand how to manage a medical office building. So sometimes yeah. we get that. There's different reasons they come to it. But the primary reason, it's a doctor's group that wants to monetize what they're doing. There are sometimes groups that come to us and want to build a facility. And they can get the loan to build it, but they need to take out money. So we then take it out and we own the facility and lease it back to them with a long-term lease. It's called, uh, it, the business is called net leasing. Uh, it's what they call triple net and absolute. Triple net means that you basically, they pay most of the expenses um, as a tenant. So they pay their electricity, they pay for a care of the hallway. An absolute net lease, which includes the triple net things where they pay the maintenance of the building, also includes Depends on how you write it up, but usually includes the roof and the others. So they essentially run their own building, but it's yeah. a way for them to get money, and we get we get the rent. Yeah. So do you do any other uh, leases besides triple net and absolute net? Yeah, we we buy some multiple tenant buildings, um, which means that we do a general lease. But that's that's maybe. That's maybe 10% of our business right now. Yeah. And we'll buy some uh, multiple tenant and we'll... It's a, it's a bit more work for us and the way we work all over the country. We're in like 40-something countries. So the way we work all over the country, um, it's real important that we... Um, it's real important that, you know, you can easily manage these things. So if you have too many buildings that are two different places, where the first, the absolute, and the triple net leases are real and easier to manage. Yeah. Okay. So and I'm just going to do some more uh, personal questions. If you were to write up, like, a new resume and apply for a completely new job, it would be, like, insanely long because of all the former and present positions and accomplishments that you ha you would have to put on it. So I wanted to ask you what your strategy is for multitasking and setting priorities in both home life and at work. Okay, that's a challenge. Uh, I, I have had a family and have uh, young kids at the time, and you got to come home. Um and uh, and then when you do your different businesses, uh, there's a time to focus on that. Um, it's, yeah. You have to set your priorities. Um, I raised uh, with my ex-wife two girls, and uh, that was very enjoyable. And then you have to set your priorities. Uh, you have to do something well. Uh, I see a lot of people trying to do a lot of things at the same time, and usually they don't get it done. 
usually I've done a lot of things, but once I did something well and I had an operating company that was doing very well, sometimes I was maybe able to get into other ventures, which I have done. I have had other ventures and um, out there in the market. And, um, you know, I participated. I chair another company that I invested heavily in a biotech. But, you know, uh, you have to be successful at something. Usually a lot of people get too scattered um, and do too many different things. That's usually the advice when they come in to see me. And they're very bright, have lots of ideas. But I say get something done really well and get a reputation for that thing because it makes everything else go well easier. Yeah. So do you feel successful at this point in your life? Yeah. Okay. When do you think that, like, you made the transition from feeling like you have a lot to prove to, okay, now I finally feel very successful with what I've done? Like, what age or what, like, do you think it was becoming CEO? No, no. I was never driving to be a CEO. just happened. Um, I, I wouldn't say that, um, I've probably been felt successful since I've been about 25, uh, when I got some jobs, um, I can tell you that, um, you know, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm sort of ambitious, but not in that I have to do it. I, I like things. I'm not as ambitious as you think. Now, sometimes the people I see, you see they're too ambitious, and it's good to be ambitious. But, yeah. you know, uh, ambitious and satisfied are two different things. Uh, you could be ambitious, and I failed at projects also. Uh, I've had yeah. companies that didn't make it, and I then the next day, when I knew it was over, I'd start working on something else. Um, you know, you you can't spend the money that you don't have. Um, that's what a lot of people do. They get into the project and they think, oh, it's going to be here. This is how successful. And they start thinking of themselves already with all that money. Um, yeah. That's not good for business being an entrepreneur. I had multiple companies and some of them didn't do as well, maybe for the last 30 years, once I learned the methodology and I learned how what to avoid, I probably have not had real non-successes um, in my businesses. But uh, prior to that, I had a couple of real, you know, wake up in the morning, no money, had to start again. <laughs> yeah. So what do you? What would you give the title to of your biggest failure in business? Um, being way ahead of the time. Okay. Um, it, it, it's actually, everything's about timing. Um, yeah. and I had in the late 1990s, I had a company that had the ability to do streaming with security on it to attach encoded security on it for like movies um, we all we did um, you know everything we could secure you know emails and everything else and probably 
10 years ahead of the time. So when I realized that there wasn't that much interest at that time, I thought there would be. Now the products are out there, exactly what we developed. Yeah. Yeah. What year was this around? I don't know, 96 to 2000. Okay, so yeah, definitely ahead of the time. Too ahead of the time. <laughs> yeah. And and so it, it's a lot about timing. It's funny to say that, but yeah. it's really... Uh, now, with Global Medical REIT, the timing was perfect because there was not anybody in our space, and we can move in to be the 800-pound gorilla in that 5 to $15 million space where everybody was chasing yeah. $50 million deals, $100 million deals, and we were able to chase yeah. that, and that became very good for us because we, we really were able to manage that. Yeah, so you guys find that mid-sized commercial properties are like the best thing to go after when it, in regards to competition? Well, it's good for like us. A, it's great for us. Now, I, I yeah. can't say for everybody out there, you know, like, like some of the funds are very, some of the investors are very impatient with their funds. So if you're in an impatient fund, and you need to move $300 million, which many of them do, or you need to move yeah. $500 million, and you're giving like a year or two years to move that money, buying a $5 million property at a time just doesn't. Setting up a new organization, yeah. doing it doesn't. Now, we're set for that, but it's just very different. People have different criteria. Uh, their investors have different criteria. We went through the public market, so we had to explain our criteria to the stockholders, eventual stockholders, and then we raised in our first raised $150 million to then buy what we told them we were going to buy. We went out and did what we said we were going to do, and then we would consistently raise more money on that. Yeah. Okay, so how did you have to adjust as a leader when you went from being in lower positions to becoming CEO? I think my first job at GMRV is CEO. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've had lower positions. Um, I've had lower positions, but it's sort of funny. You, you don't have as many lower – I'm not a corporate guy. I started up the company, so you don't have as many lower positions when you're the guy who, like, thinks up the company and starts it, <laughs> usually a little higher. Yeah. So I can't say that I, you know, I've hired a lot of people to do it. Uh, I raised the money, which yeah. is always very difficult because you got to go around raising yeah, money. And, yeah. uh, and that's why your history and your track record, your track record's everything for raising money. Your history, how you get along, how you explain it, how you treat your investors are very important. Uh, I've been a serial entrepreneur, so I can't really say I was always very low in position. I mean, I, I worked early on in various jobs, but when I really started doing my own business, I was always one of the heads, if not the head. Yeah. 
Okay, so in 10 years' time, uh, what do you think you're going to regret about the past decade? Okay, I don't tend to regret. Um, <laughs> like, I guess if I do something wrong, I'll regret it, but I don't know what I'm going to do wrong. Um, yeah. You know, um, it's, a, it's a challenging time right now. Pandemic is challenging. Um, you know, I'm not going to regret not having another one. <laughs> I like to leave that. Um, the ch- yeah. pandemic is very challenging. Um, you know, the results of, you know, right now the financial markets are a little shaken. Um, it's a, you know, world crises are occurring. So it's a challenging yeah. market to work as a CEO or top executive in a company to look at what is the greater macro look like and what is the micro look at like for your own company. Um, I, I hope it's easier then, um, you know, in another decade. So how do you manage to keep emotions out of it when it comes to the stressful parts of the business? Well, everybody handles their stress differently. Um, It it just, um, you know, I rely upon that, you know, that I've already accomplished stuff and we'll figure it out. I also have good management that I rely upon um, all the time. So you think that uh, the structure that you've set up in your company has allowed you to just be a lot yes. more stress-free than somebody who's, like, doing everything? Oh, you can't do everything. You have to delegate to people, and you have yeah. to get good people. You have to trust them, know them. you got to teach. My job is teaching now. I'm a little bit older, and I know a bit about business. So my job for most of my management is teaching them what I think. You have to get buy-in from your managers, like your senior managers, uh, they got to understand why they're doing it now more than 20 years ago. 20 years, 20 years ago, people just did it. Now everybody wants to understand why they're going to do it. And, and that's perfectly right. I've been doing that for years. Um, everybody participates. We come up with a decision. Then everybody has to go 100% towards that decision. Um, and yeah. if we... And if we find that decision isn't right, we got to adjust. Um, yeah. So you did mention, like, teaching and delegating. So I wanted to ask you, uh, over the past couple of years, what has become more important to you and less important to you in running your business? Um, more important to me, less important to me. Um, I'm always important that I get stockholder uh, to make the stockholders happy. That's always been my thing. Uh, that's why I've had multiple public companies. Um, I guess I don't worry so much. Less important is worrying as long as you make a good decision. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's less important. You always, you're always having some. These days, yeah. it's been a very crisis time. Not that we've done yeah. very well over the crisis, but it's always a challenge. Yeah. 
how many hours would you estimate that you work per week, and are you trying to reduce that number? Oh, that's a good question. I work how many is needed, probably, you know, 50 or something, but probably yeah. there's times I do less and there's times I do a lot more. There's busy times and there's others. Um, yeah. So probably about average, about 50. Okay. So if you could take exactly how many hours a week you would work, would you stick with 50? Oh, as I go older, I'll probably do less. <laughs> yeah, but for now, is that like 40 to 50? Now it's fine. Yeah, yeah, I'm good with it. Okay. It seems to be okay. what I need to get job done. Yeah. Some people, some people feel they have to put in 80 or 100 hours or whatever crazy numbers they put in, but yeah. usually they're not delegating. I mean, I have, I get good people. I delegate to them. If they make a mistake, then we correct it and they don't make it again, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I don't sit around worrying about their mistakes or my mistakes. You, you got to do your best you can and correct it. But delegating makes you be, you know, you, the people who don't delegate, who want to do everything, are the ones who tell you, oh, I have to work 100 hours this week or I have to work 90. Yeah. If you're delegating to people, even no matter what size the business is, if you're delegating to people and delegating properly, you know, you have a reasonable work week. Yeah. So would you say that your uh, employees, like everybody that you've delegated tasks and responsibilities to are like almost fully autonomous? No. No, they report to me. Um, and, I taught, and they report to me Monday morning what they're doing. But, yeah. And what they plan to do, but I generally delegate stuff. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I don't hear about, which is that really yeah. under them. But the major stuff we talk about, it's no toy. They have to manage, but but delegation is managing too. You don't you don't walk away either. Yeah. So. What is the worst part of your job, and how much of a pay cut would you take to just completely get rid of that? <laughs> That's a good question. Worst part of my job is traveling on planes all over the place. <laughs> yeah. And going through airports and all the delays and yeah, all the lousy definitely. food and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. They told me, even though that's an important part of my job is to go to places, go to conferences, see people. Um, yeah. yeah, that's the toughest part of the job. Yeah. So who would you say is like the coolest person that you've ever met at work or because of work? Uh, Bill Gates. That's really cool. How did you meet him? Uh, I had a foundation that I started for uh, helping Africa with healthcare AIDS many years ago. Yeah. And awesome. he, he supported the foundation. I spent some time with him and he's so brilliant. And so for somebody not only to have all that money, but to take that money and try to put it into charities and really study that every dollar is going in the right place. 
He's, he's yeah. not playing around. He's not like a rich philanthropist who just throws money around. He, like, does massive studying and meetings and reports and reads everything. He reads everything. So I'm, yeah. I'm very, yeah, talking to him and, you know, the few times I have, and he came out to see one of my programs. Uh, yeah, he's definitely the coolest. That's awesome. And so for our last question of the day, uh, who was your mentor? I had a bunch. Um, I had a Chinese guy named Bai Chan, who's still, uh, he was, taught me how to do capital markets. Um, was this I, uh, up in New York? No, I, I, I did. I, yeah, we, we worked together internationally and I worked on companies, yeah. um, a few companies with him. He was a specialist and he, he was a venture guy. He put money up and, I worked with him and helped him. I was his partner, very small partner, but I was his partner, and I had to figure out how to make some companies run and take them public. So that taught me about capital markets and public markets. I've had other people who, you know, mentored me in healthcare area. Um, so, you know, you need a bunch of mentors along your way. Hey, thank you guys so much for tuning in to the Millionaire Mentors Podcast. I really hope you all enjoyed and were able to leave a like, comment, or review. And if you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email me or DM me on Instagram. And until next time.